Welcome to the Has Been Hoops podcast, Wordo. We've given the intro to this man. He's done amazing things. We've all watched. Uh, we've been watching for a long time now. Jock Landau, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, fellas. Pumped. Now, yeah, look, let, let's let's start recent. We're going to take some, we call them conversational Euro steps. We could go off anywhere, but um, mate, talk us through your last month. We, um, for, for, for context, a great year you've had in Phoenix. Everyone's been really impressed from afar. You fell out of the rotation right towards the end. The last two games you played were outstanding, and I I saw that you called them bloody good fun, and uh, you had an incredible run through the playoffs, mate. From your perspective, um, talk us through the month. Yeah, it's uh, it's been up and down. Um... Definitely had some frustrating times and some tough times in that in that kind of mix, but um, I suppose it's just you kind of get to a point, and I and I don't want to say that I'm a finished product mentally or anything of, of that capacity, but I definitely feel as though I've matured over the past two years um, to to new heights, and I understand that there's a process in which these things happen, and I think this year in particular was was one of those ones where where which made this last month a lot easier for me and allowed me to kind of stay focused on on the task at hand and um, never really fall out of the season meant you know from an engagement perspective. So um, yeah, it was you know you take it back to like the last couple of games and in, in in the. Uh, regular season and um you know i was playing well i was playing really well i had one of my best games against sacramento of the entire season and then like next game just didn't didn't touch the court and then it was like i didn't touch the court for for one game two game three game four. i must i think it was about five or six games which is the longest stint i, I didn't touch the the court whatsoever so i was confused I, I didn't really know what was going on and um uh, luckily, I have like a good little uh, network in my corner, which which kind of helps me through those those periods. Um, and it just kind of you know rolled over into the end of end of season, and you know playoffs were upon us. So um, yeah, I ended up having those two games at the end where they where they sat our starters. So that was good. I was hoping it was going to be four games, and it could have been if we'd taken care of business uh, in the midst of that last little stint there, but. But we got two good games in at the end of the season, which gave me some real confidence going into the playoffs. Um, honestly, was anticipating that I'd play a lot against uh, the Clippers, given that they were one of the teams that I played the best against in the past two two years in the NBA. Um, just rotation and matchup wise, I, I matched up really well against them, um, and you know didn't touch the court at all uh, out of the five games. I think I played the first game for about five minutes. And then I didn't see the court the rest of the series. So, you know, enter, you know, Denver and we, we go up there and um, I was thrown into the into the fire, not knowing I was going to be thrown into the fire at the, you know, midway through the third quarter. And um, that, like I was lucky enough that, again, had a good good group around me that were helping me stay engaged. And, um, you know, I was able to figure out a little trick in it all in that, like, Actually, like I watch a lot of guys, especially in this league, who when they don't play, sit there and mope and have their head in their hands and just you know yawning, feet kicked up, like just taking it easy. And and I found that for me, the best way to stay engaged and stay ready was to be the good teammate, up and about, clapping and 
so you look like you're doing it for other people but in reality it's actually helping me a lot so um yeah kind of go into the, into that denver series and and, and crack two games uh, with, with some minutes and um they were impactful minutes where i was playing really hard and i think that that just kind of showed the coaches like hey he stayed he stayed ready he looks good and then we lost that second game and after that second game um I was just so frustrated and, and did something that I wouldn't normally do where I went up to the coaching staff and I was just, I, I said to him, I said, because at that point it's like, I've got nothing to lose. They've hardly played me through the playoffs. And I went up to him and I just said, Hey, like, I know that you don't think that I'm a great matchup for, for, for yoke, but I'm just asking you for three minutes. Give me a three minute stint. And I promise you that I won't let you down and I'll show you that I can match up really, really fucking well against this guy. So Anyways, I get my three minutes next game and that turns into 25 or something like that. And then I close the game out against them and we win. Uh, so, you know, series goes 2-1. Um, and then next game ended up cracking another 22 minutes. Now, those 25 and 22 minutes are the most minutes I've had when DA has been in the lineup the entire season and they came in the second round of the playoffs. So it was just like, you just never know when you're going to get called on type, you know, cliche was was you know, really came true for me in those at the right time, I suppose. Um, so played really well there. Then we go to, we go back away to Denver and we get spanked and that was a weird game. It was just like something felt off and then obviously come back to, to Phoenix, fully expecting to tie it up 3-3. Three, three. Um, and, and it was probably one of the worst losses we had all year. So uh, in that game, I played really well. Um, I think I was plus seven in the 31 minutes I was out there and I started that game against against Yoke and, and held my own. So, look, I definitely, like, took some positives away from the series, but at the same time, it was just, a, like, it just didn't sit well with me at all how we went out and in the fashion that we went out. So, um, that was kind of the basketball portion of the last couple of months and then, you know, pretty much packed up shop day after we lost and, and, and darted off to uh, San Diego and kicked the feet up for, for a week. So, yeah, it was a bit of bit all over the place, to be honest with you, but, um, you know, in, enjoying the ride and, and, and uh, first playoff experience in the book was, was great. So, so you, you said a couple of things in there that, that fascinate me. We talked on our pod a week and a bit ago about the positive impact you had. I know plus minus is and everything. We won't go down that path now, but it was so impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to say that you want to stay ready and be ready for the opportunity, but there's a lot of people out there, that's just a sentence that doesn't make any sense. How did you actually do it? Because you're in the middle of a end of a season where most players are are resting. I'm just assuming that you had very little, you know, five on five team practices. What did it actually look like to stay ready for you? Yeah. So, um, I'll take it back a step further. About around the time of uh, around the time of late January, early Feb, right, right, like kind of right before All Star break, um, I had one of my best mates in town, and um, he's a physio, and we were just kind of doing a little bit of work together. Um, and anyways, he he kind of like like alluded to the fact that maybe I'd I'd put on a little bit and wasn't moving as well. Um, just good when you've got friends that keep you honest like that. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> and at that time, I requested the club to put me through a, through a body fat um, scan. So, um, 
went through a body fat scan, found that I'd actually put on a little bit and, and didn't realize, I kind of felt like my, my movement patterns were dropping off a little bit, but didn't really realize the extent of it. Um, so anyway, around that time, I really started to try and figure out, well, how, how can I get this back? Because the minutes, again, were so up and down. I didn't know when I was going to play and when, not, when I wasn't going to play and all of this stuff. And um, that's when I really started like honing in on, on um, my body a lot more. And that really helped me. So look, a lot of it, a lot of it is like begging the coaches um, because when you come to the, when you come to the NBA, a lot of it like this, this day and age is, is rest and recovery. And when you're not in the lineup, they that sometimes still kind of teeter towards the rest and rest and recovery um, facet of the game. And I, I had to like essentially say to them, like, look, I'm not, I'm not these other guys. Like I don't live at 2% body fat. Like I have to work out to stay ready. Otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm stuffed. So that came in the form of um, playing live before games. So I play live against some of the coaches, you know, for 20 minutes right before the game uh, in, in my workout slot. So I get a little bit of conditioning going, um, you know, keeping the, the competitive skills sharp. Um, so that was one of the things that we kind of implemented. Um, the other one was um, on the on on the off days that which are typically um, really low, I bumped mine up to medium wasn't hard but it was medium and a lot of that was a little bit of skill work but it was conditioning drills so everything was conditioning we'd go in we'd do a little bit of skill work before practice for 15 20 minutes and then after practice i'd stick around and like it was like you know start in one corner and uh, corner at the opposite end of the court and you come into the the corner three full court and you have to keep going until you make that corner three and then once you make it you move to the wing and then you move to the slot and then you move to the top and then you move and you go all the way around. So a lot of it, and I'd have to go there and back. And so that was, that became one of the biggest conditioning drills we did was just getting up and down as much as possible. Um, and that was on the off the days between games. And then they have a, they have a thing here at, at Phoenix, which I really like, which is like, keep your high days high and keep your low days low. So after every game, start bench, don't play at all. I'm in their conditioning on the assault bike after every single game, regardless of how many minutes I play. And that comes in the form of, um, of 15 seconds on 15 seconds off for four minutes, go and lift, lift weights, come back at the end of it and do another four minutes. And so I just bumped everything up. And, and to be honest with you, like my, my role with the Suns kind of morphed itself into just like, one where I had to be super fit and physical. So it was like, right, like I can keep all the skill components up and like that's all well and good, but these guys don't need me to go and score, you know, the 10 a night or the 12 a night that I was for the first, you know, month and a half a season. When we, when that's what my role kind of was after training camp, like I crushed in training camp and that's what my role was. And all of a sudden we had Kevin Durant come into the fold and Book was lighting it up and Mikhail Bridges at the time was really coming into his own. So it was like, we don't really need more scoring. We need more dirty work and more offensive rebounds and running the floor and playing defense. So that was like, right, I need to be fit. I need to be as fit as possible and I need to be as physical and strong as possible. So my whole regime kind of morphed itself into like, let's just nail the conditioning component and, and, work these centers uh as as much as possible so 
yeah, it was just like all my conditioning and strength work and weightlifting and stuff took a massive step up and, and I don't want to say the skill stuff like <clears throat> took a step back, but it was definitely not as much of a focal point of, of our workout. So for me, that's what staying ready really looked like. Looked like towards you, you might have yeah, known. Well, you might have known. Hang on, before you go, it, this is the one I for you, mate. I, I hope everyone's listening to this. this <laughs> we're just sitting back here nodding. We don't show this on video, but we're sitting back nodding wishing more people thought exactly so mate what you said is insane that's love it so much go ahead weather i was like uh, you might have noticed us smiling as well that's because i had ptsd of that shooting drill because yeah. chris used to do it to me and uh coming back from a shoulder reconstruction i wasn't shooting that well and that just became yeah. an absolute bitch drill for me but it was great for my conditioning hey um it's not every day that a kevin durant gets to join your team mid-season um, obviously yeah. your role changes when he comes into the lineup as well. And then it changes again because he does his ankle and he sits out a good proportion of time. Talk about what that's like as a player when you know someone of his caliber is coming into his, into your team. So there's a level of excitement, but also it knows, you know, within yourself, it's probably going to change the dynamic of my, of the team. And you don't know where you sit within all that as well. What's that like for you? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a juggling act, really. Um, so, like, looking at it from a team perspective, it worked f- fucking fantastically for my role. Um, but I can see how for other guys it would be like, bugger, like, there goes three or four shots a night for me. Um, so, like, when I, when I look at the season as a whole, especially early on in the year, I really, I really only got shots off of mismatches, wide open threes, and then dirty work that I created myself. Um, all it did was play into my hands even more because it added a component in the short roll to my game, which we weren't really getting. Um, you know, guys were able to kind of fight through the screens with CP, and we weren't getting the offensive uh, pick and roll production out of our big and CP kind of dynamic that they had in previous years. Um, and then, and then book was. Like book was just able to get shots off whenever he wanted, so it's like we weren't really utilizing that 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 short roll dynamic at all. Like if you watch our first four months of season, it was like non-existent. Um, so when he came in and teams started blitzing him, especially early on, I felt this effect like big time. It was like um, Charlotte was the first game, and then Chicago was the second game, and Chicago was a game in Chicago where I played really well and it was just me and KD the entire night. I ended up closing that game out as well, but it was me and KD the entire night in a short roll scenario. So once those two games came on, I was like, this is fucking great. Like I just get to live in the short roll and coming from Europe and kind of being accustomed to that and being able to like read the game really nicely and kind of pick it apart. It played into my, I mean, it made me look a lot, a lot better than I probably am. So um, that worked out really well, but yeah, it was like, Anytime he comes in, the pressure just takes takes a big step up. And, and you know, now those shots that, you know, those one or two shots that you might get a quarter or a half, whatever it might be, like you have to knock down or otherwise it's like, damn, I just like let Kevin Durant down or, or something like that. And I think that a lot of people kind of felt the weight of that pressure. Um, I was cool with it because I was just dunks and layups for the most part and, and just doing business as usual. But... Um, yeah, there were, there were times when, like, 
you know, I'd get it in the short roll and he'd be like, just shoot it. Like, why not shoot it? But I was so accustomed to kind of playing a certain way from Europe and blah, 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 that I wasn't being as, as aggressive as I probably could have. So, like, I had to adjust a little bit and he wanted me to be more aggressive. And, like, when Kevin Durant says, hey, be more aggressive, you're like, all right, I'll listen to Kevin Durant. So, um, there, there's, like, a component of, of like, um, of pressure that comes with it. But, uh, mate, for the most part, like, it kind of played into my hands pretty nicely, especially when I had guys like him and Book, you know, the, 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 the guys who are out on court all the time typically have somewhat of a say in, in the rotations. And, um, you know, they were definitely in the coaching staff ear about, hey, we need this guy out, you know, out there more on the court and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, definitely played into my hands nicely. I think that I mesh really well with those two guys. And, and you know, we speak about the plus minus. I think the plus minus with the three of us on the court was like, top five or something like that at one point. So we, we the dynamic of me being able to just set hard screens and roll to the basket and do the dirty work kind of plays really nicely with with someone like him. And um, I mean, shit, I'd love to stick around and play with him a lot longer. So, yeah. We're coming back to the NBA, but you mentioned Europe a couple of times there and Europe's for Australian basketball fans. We know that, we know that people go, but then they disappear and they come back and we don't follow you clearly, for those who don't know, you played in Lithuania, you won a championship there or a cup. You won a championship in Serbia. So everywhere you go, you win, mate. When you came back to United, you won and then you performed and you won grand final MVP. Tell us about the difference in the style of play that you referred to in Europe. And then I guess how you brought it back to United, but all in all, to then put you at the free throw line in the short roll with Kevin Durant. Yeah, Um yeah, Europe was a real interesting one for me because it started out horrendously. Um, it's like the first two months of the season, I was I was like, this might be it. Like, I might, I might not be because there was there was there was genuine like questions uh, circulating, especially in the NBA circles, on we don't know if he can be a pro. And I went out there and had a really rough start to season, and it, you know those those thoughts kind of cre- crept in a little bit. But was lucky enough to have a coach kind of step in, you know. I think like 13 games into the season by the name of Andrea Trincheri. Um, and he kind of turned my professional career around for the better and, and said, look, I see something in you and I want to make this offense kind of revolve around you in the short roll. So to to double down on that question, the short roll exposure came from Andrea Trincheri because he was a very NBA offensive-minded coach. Um, he's one of the best coaches in the world by my measure. But um, he... Uh, he kind of put me in those scenarios to prepare me for this. Um, so, you know, had a, had a really good season there. Um, was lucky enough to be surrounded by an incredible team, very talented team with, with a coach that took us to new heights and brought the best out of us. Um, and then go on to Lithuania and play for Saras Yasikavichis, who again is, is an NBA offensive-minded coach, very talented, very, very good coach. Um, so I was lucky enough to play for two extremely high-level coaches who brought the best out of me offensively and gave me different looks. A lot of Andrea's stuff was in the short role, and then Saris, Saris had me coming off pin downs as a five-man shooting threes. So it just kind of gave me this exposure to the three-point line that I'd never had um, and, and, and opened up kind of new new doorways for me. Um, but so much of it in Europe is, as you know, it's predicated on a winning. Like they don't have a long-term plan. There is nothing about what are we doing next year or the year after that. Whereas in the NBA, there is a lot of long-term thought process. 
It's how we're winning this year because winning this year gets us money and it get, you know all of that stuff. There's there's a lot that goes into winning uh, every single day in 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 Europe. Um, and then a lot of it is also is centered around how do we like there there isn't like a superstar on a team to be honest with you in Europe. It's it's you've got four or five guys averaging like eleven to thirteen points, and then then there's guys who kind of trickle off down to seven, six, whatever it might be. But it's it's such a team oriented um, style of basketball out there, which is hard, and it needs to be that way because the the defensive structures are out, out there are just they're so hard to score against. You know, you I mean, we always laugh about it. Me and a couple of the other guys have played in Europe. You come out of a game in Europe having you know seven and four, and you're like, I was killing tonight. It's it's nuts. So. Um, a lot of it's just, it's just so hard to score out there that that it, it for me when I when I came back to United that really ingrained itself in me and that was the way that I really enjoyed playing basketball was like everyone's involved we all come out feeling good it's not just one guy going and and, and scoring 30 40 a night it's let's let's see how we can pick these guys apart as a team and so that was kind of the message I came in with to Melbourne and that's just that's <clears throat> I don't, I'm not saying that's the right way of doing things. A lot of people would say it is, but that's all I knew. So I came in and I was like, this isn't going to be just like me scoring every night. I don't want to play like that. I, I want everyone to feel involved and, and, and all of us to kind of, you know, feed off one another. And and that's really how it went. We, we, um, we had no one score 20 a night. I think our highest scorer was either myself or Chris, who was scoring 16 or, or 17. Now, NBL is a lot more high scoring than Europe, so that made it a little – that has to weigh in a little bit. Um, but it was – it became very, like, team-oriented and how do, how do we help one another be the best version of ourselves because in the long run, this is how, this is how we're going to win a championship. And, and a lot of teams in the NBL – are predicated off one, two of these import guards kind of scoring 20 or 30 a night. And like, that's all well and good. But I believe that we were just going to crush all of our other uh, opposing teams by playing like a team because we had like individual skill wise, we had an incredible team like Scotty Hobson, Chris Goulding, Mitch McCarron, uh, Shay Illy, Joe Luella Chul. Like, we had, a, we had a really stacked team, Jack White. But I was like, we can all go out there and 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 play as individuals and and try and help ourselves get to the next level. But like the way I've been taught is that winning takes care of everything, and that's why winning for me is just like the, the peak of achievement. Because if you win, look what happens, right? Like I, I won early on in my career a lot, and it got me to the NBA. And that's just where that's they're just things that I I, I that's what I believe helps me get to the next level because unless you're drafted top 10 like they don't care what you're going to do on a night-to-night basis they care if they if you if you win your uh, they help you help win your organization win a championship so that's kind of what i what i believe and um and that's why i've i probably thrived more in phoenix than i did san antonio can can we just touch on serbia one more time this is a place that i played as well uh, as a 29-year-old, and it was difficult, even at my age, uh, living in Serbia, like as fantastic as some of the people are, uh, there's just as many people that didn't want you there at the same time, and they let yeah. you know about it as well. 
playing for a huge club like Partisan, I can only imagine that the tension at times could have been tenfold. Uh, speak about coming out of college, having that sort of pressure on you with that sort of club, playing in, in – they do have incredible fans where they've got the, the old fans and the new fans. You share a stadium with Red Star, so that's obviously what it probably – one of the best atmospheres I can only imagine outside of playing in an NBA finals that there they can be in a basketball system. Talk about how that was as a young guy coming out of college and being in, thrown into that sort of environment. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really, really hard. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. I, I fell into a pretty dark place mentally for, for, for that entire year. Um, and a lot of it was just the isolation. Um, like I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I went through the first, uh, I don't know, would have been, I went through the first four months of the season out there solo. Um, and then it got to a point where I was just on the phone to my parents every day and my family, like, hey, I, I, I just need someone out here at all times. Like I can't, I can't deal with this level of isolation. And, and the European seasons are long, they're like 10 months long. So it's a, it is a long time to be out there as, you know, just a individual. Um, so I really struggled with the, with the isolation a lot and, and that part was hard. Um, but the basketball part I, I thrived in. Um, I, I think that the, the level of pressure and scrutiny that we were under as, as a club in, in, in Serbia and at that level was like played into my personality traits heavy. Um, so I had no no qualms with what was going on on court. Like even as bad as it got, like you know, being spat on, being you know, we we, we lost our eleven of our first fourteen games of the year, and that's when our coaching staff changed. Um, but you know, we had the we had the president and the owner come in and say, "We're not paying you until you guys start winning," and like that's that's the kind of stuff that we were dealing with. But like that 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 stuff, I, I you know. You sit back and you're like, well, I'm, I'm meant to be getting paid, mate. And for older guys, I understood that, like, hey, that's that'd piss them off. But mate, at that time, I was just like, this is kind of funny, like, whatever, like, you know. So, um, yeah, like that that level of pressure and stuff, I just I, I loved. And and then you go to, you know, you talk about that Red Star partisan rivalry being on the level of NBA finals. Those crowds and atmospheres are ten times anything that the Americans have out here, like. Obviously, never played in an NBA Finals. I've been and sat in a crowd at one, but it's like, it's like a family vibe. Get up and about, like it, you know, AFL Grand Final type thing. That that stuff out in Serbia is like life and death. Like people popping flares in the stands, fighting each other, like all kinds of stuff going on. You know, you've got like, it's like you feel like you're like back in like the time of the Vikings or something. <laughs> I don't even know. It's just it is outrageous how intense they are. So. Um, as far as the on-court stuff, like that was my safe space. That's where I got out of my own head and I got to go and be on the court and deal with all this outside noise and like life stories, life experiences. I was soaking that up. Like, um, but yeah, it's, it was the, it's the off-court stuff that I always struggle with. It's the, you know, sitting in my own thoughts and thinking about where I could be, you know, you're sitting there in minus 30 degrees in Serbia when your mates are back home in Australia on a beach. New Year's Eve having a few beers and that stuff just like crushed me because college was easy. I was at college with, you know, six to eight Australians at any one point in time and, and, and you know, your best friends and you're all 
having a good time and whatever it might be. But then, you know, when you go to, when you go and become professional, you're playing with 35 year olds with three kids and you've got, they've all got families. So no one's really going out with one another after games. And my team was like fairly old, all had families that they went back to after every practice, every game. So for the most part, I was just solo. Um, and, and, and that's the part that really leveled me mentally and sent me to a dark spot. But, um, yeah, basketball was my safe space as, as rough as it was like, so there might be some, there might be some validity in saying that like, given that my mental state was so poor, like I, I enjoyed the worst of times on the, on the court with, with that pressure and stuff. Cause it was like, this is still better than sitting in my apartment in my own thoughts. So, um, yeah, I loved it, mate. I, I loved it and, and have nothing but good things. To <laughs> they're, they're, they're a different I, breed. <laughs> you're, you're almost describing my time in Russia, mate. I, I still describe it as the hardest time in my life, but probably the most valuable. You know, those sitting up till three o'clock in the morning just looking at the roof because you haven't done anything yet off the basketball court all day. But, um, yeah. you know, two things happened for me in that space that got me out of my dark place was Martin Mercep who was a teammate of mine at the Mavericks, an Estonian guy, one of my good mates, he spoke Russian and he opened up the country for me. But I'll tell you what, when I came home, and I'm I'm assuming you're the same when you got back to Melbourne and, and played for United, jeez, I'll tell you what, I was appreciative of everything so much. I was so grateful for, for everything that I got given that people were taking for granted. No question. That was that's That summarises. So we went through the Adriatic finals and we ended up getting knocked out. Um, in the semi-final against Red Star, actually, which was just one of the craziest things in the world, playing against them in the Adriatic finals. But our coach turned around to us and said, right, you got 10 days, go do whatever you want. And my old man was in town at the time. So we go home and we're having a few beers. And I was like, dad, I don't want to fucking be here anymore. Like, I've I, I got to go home. Like, we got to go home and I've just got to touch base with friends and family and, like, put my feet on, like, home soil. So we jumped on a flight and we went back for 10 days. Mate, I that those 10 days like potentially like saved my life they were the best 10 days of I've ever had in Australia where I was just like holy shit like this is something that I will never take for granted is the freedom that we have in Australia the the standard of living you know just just everything um and and that's that that trickled on into my next year in Lithuania. Um, that was obviously cut short because of COVID. But like again, like you know, we get six months into the season and, and and COVID happens, and I find myself living at my farm for six months, and I'm like, man, this is a time that I wouldn't I would ne- I wouldn't have gotten until I was 35, you know, 40, depending on how my, long my career goes. So. Um, you know, it's just like those moments where you get home and you get to experience kind of being around Australians was what really swayed me into wanting to go back into the NBL and play there for a year because the conversation in my own head became like, unless I have a family, unless I have a wife, which I'm lucky enough to have now, like, could I ever go and experience Europe again solo? I don't think I could have. Um, so the conversation in my head was, I'm going to play NBL the rest of my career until I make the NBA because the lifestyle choices of, of that just became so important for, for my state of mind. And, and, and I was able to go back to Australia, as you said, and really be grateful and appreciative of, of what we have there and all of my mates and like all of that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, and it even changed my perspective 
then on America where I came to America and I started playing in America and like I used to think America was the creme de la creme. I thought it was the best thing ever. And I get there and I still like I still yearn for being home. I'm like, fuck, I just want to go home. Like, you know. So Australia's Australia really is like it's just the best place in the world to me, mate. And and I'm 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 pretty pumped that I was able to kind of live there for a year and a half in during my career where I probably wouldn't have had that opportunity if it wasn't for COVID. John, can I – I'm going to go back to St. Mary's for a second. I was fortunate enough and unfortunate enough to coach against you where you ripped the shit out of us at LMU. And you were in what – I thought you were the best back-to-the-basket player in all of college basketball that year. Uh mm-hmm. And then we fast forward and you get to the NBL and now you've got a three-point shot to your game and you had a, that short roll and all that. Now you're in the NBA. We see you as one of the, like, you put your head down, you're one of the best rim-to-rim runners in the league and all that. You've evolved your game multiple times mm. over a short period of time. Talk about your growth in basketball from St. Mary's where you started to where you are right now and how you've, you've seen your own game evolve. Yeah, it's, um, it's actually something that I was funny. You bring this up. It was something that I was talking about with my college coach, Randy mm-hmm. Bennett, um, not three days ago. Um, kind of always calls me for a postseason check-in and see if I'm coming back to St. Mary's and all of that. But, Ask for a donation. He was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's something that I I wouldn't pick up on unless I had people like yourself and him kind of acknowledge it. But he was just like, I've just uh, I've I've not experienced anyone being able to, to switch their game flow up so easily and and, and smoothly, um, depending on the situation that that they're in and um. He, he said that he hadn't seen someone, and I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn here because I still feel like I've got a long way to go. But um, he said, I've just, I've never, I've, I've not seen many guys leave St. Mary's and continue to have an uphill trajectory like you have. Like, and, and I see it a lot. Like, I see it a lot in the NBA. There are a lot of guys that get to this level and they're like, I'm good. I'm the finished product. I don't need to evolve anymore. And I just think that that's such a, that's such a, narrow-minded focus um and and perspective on the game and um I, I feel as though that this probably ties back into all the time I spent in my own head in Europe and stuff but I feel as though there's so many things that I can change every offseason like I come from San Antonio last year um and I'll just I'll just touch on these two teams San Antonio and Phoenix but come from San Antonio last year and they're like, we just want you to shoot threes. And that's, that's it. Like that, that's your role. Shoot threes, defend as well as you can because you're not that good defensively and offensive rebound. That was like, stay in that box right there and we'll be happy. So that's what I did. Shot 35% from three um, on a fairly high volume, given the opportunity that I had. Um, Didn't do very well defensively at all. Uh, and, and then was able to kind of make my mark on the offensive boards. They come to me at the end of the season and they say, well, we need someone who can defensive rebound, so we're going to move off you. And I was like, well, I did what you asked and we'll just leave it there. Come to Phoenix and, you know, I have I always have an honest conversation 
with myself at the end of the season on like where I need to improve. And I think that that's something that's really helped me as I'm, as, as I'm able to have these conversations with myself and others around me and not take them to heart and not be like, no, you guys are idiots. Like I'm, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. Um, so like I, I, I came out of San Antonio and I was like, I need to get better defensively, like plain and simple. Otherwise my, my stint in the NBA will be very short lived. Um, and I need to, I need to get fitter so I can, so I can really play at a high pace because I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this like 70 games sitting on the bench and having an opportunity for 10 games, which is essentially what I had at San Antonio. Um, so mate, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm able to continue to develop and, and kind of chop and change my, my playing style, but I think it's just, I'm a, I'm good at figuring out what the team needs of me and honing in on, on that. Um, I'd like to be on a team where they really allow me to show the full package and, um, and, and do a bit of everything, but it's just like, I think that that's a part of being okay with a role player, role players mentality. Like I'm cool with being a role player. I'm, I'm fine with it. And, and I, I relish in that opportunity and, um, I suppose that it's something that like people don't realize is everyone wants to be LeBron James and Kevin Durant, but there's 30 of them in the world, if that. And it's like the real difference makers in my mind are the guys who come in behind them at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten that help you win a championship. And that's kind of what I picked up a lot from 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 the Warriors. Like they had a obviously they had three superstars that have been mainstays, and they had but they've always got high level role players around them and that opportunity excites me so I I figure out what teams need pretty quickly and a lot of that comes from like honing in on on um like one of the first things I do when I get traded or signed with a new team is I say hey like give me a game film and 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 kind of like give me a look at the, the the bigs and what you need of the bigs, like lay out for me what you need. And then I just watch the film and I figure out, okay, these are the skills that I need to really hone in on for the next six, seven weeks before season. And then I can kind of like just go from there and add things slowly, slowly, slowly. So that's what I did with Phoenix this year. Um, you know, I've, I've done that with other teams at times as well, especially Melbourne United. But I think it's just a real like, I think Pat Bev said it recently as well as a lot of the guys in the league don't like basketball. I, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Um, and I'm always trying to figure out how to help my team win and come back to that point again. I think the reason that, I, that I'm able to continue to develop at the rate I am is I'm obsessed with winning. Um, and I don't know if many guys can say that. I think a lot of the other guys like the lifestyle a bit more than they do the game and, and don't care about you know what it takes to win. But that, that stuff all really helps me continue to develop and I still feel like I've got a long ways to go. Like I, I need to sharpen up a lot of things like my shot and my body. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I don't really draw on as much as I should, like my back to the basket game. And yeah, I'm hoping that one day I'll really get to show the full, the full, full thing. But yeah. Well, I always found that you, I, I love what you're saying. And that all, but in the same breath, everybody talk, I want to get to the boomers in a second. And, but this becomes a tough off season in what you just described, because I would imagine you've got to prepare for the boomers. I know how much those international medals representing the boomers mean. So firstly, yep. you've got to go and transform your game back to an international style of game. Then you've got a short yep. window of time. At this stage, I'm assuming you don't know where you're playing next year. 
So sometimes as, as great and as incredible and all of the words you use to represent the boomers, it actually becomes really difficult to achieve what you've just described to put yourself in the best position to be successful in the NBA or even in the NBL because you're so committed to that clause for a, for a period of time. So how does this yeah. off-season look for you in that space? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lot to unpack. Um, first off, I don't know where I'll be playing. Um, I'm an unrestricted free agent, so... You know, when you're an unrestricted free agent, you typically hope that you're going to stay around the club that you're currently at. So, I'm, and, I, and I do want to stay in Phoenix, but it's a business at the same time. So, depending on what one team says versus Phoenix, it's like I've got to I've got to take into account that I'm a 27 year old who needs to look after a family. So, um, look, I try and I really I try, I try not to worry too much about what comes after the next thing. So right now, the next thing is the boomers, and that's what I'm focused on. Um, we're still yet to win a gold medal. So that's 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 as far as I take it, and, and I don't look past that. Um, so now it's about figuring out, okay, there's probably a lot bigger of a role for me now that Bainsey, um, I'm not saying that he's, I mean, yeah, he's, no, he's not in the he's squad, not in I don't the think. Squad, no. Yes, shit. I see. I have, this is the thing. I haven't paid attention to the squad because I was so caught up on the on the playoffs. But um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's 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 all about figuring out what my role is going to be within that team now. So I probably need to jump on the phone to Gorge in the next week or two. I've been speaking to Patty a little bit, um, and he seems to think that I'm going to have a lot bigger role than I usually have. Um, so it, it's it's understanding what that looks like and, and working towards that. So. Look, early stages now is is um, I've been in the weight room. I mean, we finished, I think, 12 days ago or something like that. I've been in the weight room for about five of those 12, um, and, and I'll continue to do that for another kind of nine days, uh, just weight room and conditioning. Um, and then, you know, starting June 1st, I'll kind of get back on court and start easing into that a little bit, um, you know, try and play as much as possible through July. Um, back when I go home to Australia, I think we're trying to set up getting a lot of the boomers there and just getting that kind of ball rolling in Melbourne and playing against some of the other pro teams and stuff. Um, and then come August, it's it's into training camp. But, I mean, for me, it's it's – I think one of the things that really helped us was my ability to stretch the floor with the boomers and be a dynamic roller. Um, so doing a lot, lot of that stuff will be good. But from where I sit – watching us kind of play and look we're a lot more diverse as a team now with all these young guns coming through but where i sit watching the 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 game against um the us in in the olympics i think that there was a real there was a real opportunity miss perhaps for for some post play because a lot of our stuff was five out spacing and we, we were we were just cutting and moving off the ball but the us figures figured us out and they just pushed everything up and it was like well then we, we became stagnant in that third quarter and that's where we lost so i think that we need to probably um evolve our offense a little bit more and have some dynamic close play which which will come through me um and and that's something that i need to hone back in on this this off season going forward so that's kind of where i sit on it, whether or not Gorge and, and all them have the same outlook as, you know, out of my control and I'll do what's asked of me regardless. Um, but I think working on that that post play is definitely something that I need to get back to and, and, and do a little bit of to, to help give us a, a, a different look. You know, we, can, we can't let that little 
segue go without fast forwarding to the next day and hearing a couple of years later how you remember the game against Luka, uh, the bronze medal game against Luca and Slovenia. It, it was historic. I know so many of us here in Australia, whether we played for the Boomers or just been around it, it was special for us. It was special for our kids. You guys did something that Wertho and I and everyone we played with at the Boomers, mm. we, we were jealous. We, we wanted to do what you did. We tried for so long and tried so hard to get done what you did. And, you know, I think all of us ex-Boomers had a moment where we were jealous of what yeah. you were able to do. But I say that in a really positive way because you, you know what it's meant to us, but tell us what it meant to you and tell us your recollections of the game itself and the after, you know, the time after the game. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing was, was, was a lot of the, the old heads that I became close with, like Bogues, like, uh, like Longers. I mean, even Andre Lamanis. you know, I reached out to us as soon as we walked back in that locker room before I even picked up the first can of beer. It was I reached out to those guys and I hit them up and I was just like, look, this wouldn't be possible without you guys and without your sacrifice and putting us in the position to to realise, you know, how how much a medal meant to this country. Um, and so, like, for me, sitting back on it, I know that you guys don't have the medal in hand. It was like, it was an achievement for all of us. And I think that that really embodies why there was a bit of jealousy and but why there was so much happiness, you know, seeing Gazy on TV, crying on live TV. It's like all of those instances, you realize how much it meant to just that group of boomers that we had because, as you said, we sacrificed so much of our family time in our off-season and so much of our – like that, that's, that shit takes years off your career, like just because you're putting in so much hard yards in, 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 in those off-seasons. So like doing that time and time again and, and sacrificing that downtime that you have um, – you, you, I understand why there was so much emotion that went into it for not just us, but for everyone. But for me, um, I look back on the game and a lot of it's a blur, to be honest with you. Um, that was the that was the peak of any emotion I'd felt going into a game. Like I was shaking going to the court because I understood how many times we'd come forth and, and how many times we'd pulled up short. And whilst I was feeling that that those nerves and those jitters, I also understood that like there was no way in hell we weren't walking out of there without a medal, and I and I really felt that. And I think that what helped me a little bit was kind of going through the 2019 World Cup, um, you know, loss and, and feeling that fourth place and how much it meant to everyone around me. And then one of my best mates in Bogut, you know, retiring and not being able to come to the Olympics. I, I just felt all of that in that moment and. So those those memories were playing back for me the whole the whole game. I was just thinking like we can't fucking lose this. We're not going to lose this. We're not going to lose this. And I, I lost track of the game to be honest with you. So you know the final buzzer goes and I'm kind of looking around for a second like did this did did, did this just happen? Like I, I can't even really figure it out. I was I was like a bit of an out of body experience. Um, but then once it kind of sank in and we were standing on the podium with all the boys and you, you, you've got the medal in your hand, you're just like that, like this is history making. Like I can't, could not believe that we'd done it. So like for me, I was able to embrace that for, for, for a couple of games, a couple of days, but just being the person I am, I was like, I can't, like I'm, 
hungry to go again. So, um, yeah, that kind of that kind of brings us to where we're at now, going up into this World Cup with with the roster that we have and everything. It's exciting. It is really exciting, and I'm, I'm I know that we're all feeling it and already texting about how hungry we are to come away with the gold medal. So. It's a special thing, mate. It, like, you know, it's the, the boomers is a special time. You come back from all these professional clubs where a lot of us are playing with Europeans and Americans and then we all get to come together with like-minded Aussies. And, and, and it's if I could do that every day of my life, I would, like, without question. So, yeah, it's special. Uh, mate, you, speaking of being special, you, you, you've mentioned your farm. I believe you might have got married up in the Daniloquin area. One of the special things you're doing and the reason we connected that this chat with you today, which I couldn't be happy we did. Um, mate, you're coming back, and of all places, you, you're running a basketball camp on July 15 and 16 in Daniloquin. Yep. The basketball centre there, I, I love it. I, I love getting in the country as much as I reckon you do. Tell us your connection there. Tell us why you're doing it. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, a few reasons. Um, so that, that, that farm has been in our family for about hundred and. 170 odd years I think 180 odd years and it's a it's a special place my, my parents kind of took uh, took over the farm full time 10 years ago um, after my grandfather passed away um, and he was one of the biggest role models I had in my life so it, it was a place that we spent a lot of our childhood uh, building memories and core memories with him and my grandmother and uh, you know various family members and now my parents, you know, it meant so much to my dad that you know he had a he had a business in in Melbourne and sold that to buy the farm uh, off off his siblings. So um, it's it's a place that you know when COVID happened, I went back there and and you know that's where I was that's where I home base for three months whilst things died down. So it's just somewhere that I always yearn to 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 be and um, miss it every chance. And like every chance that I think about it, I, I just miss it wholeheartedly. So having good, great connections with that community up there and, and really caring about um, basketball, I, I, I tried to kind of merge the two and see what I could do. Um, you know, I went up there, I went up there last year and, and I just, one of our, one of our cousins, one of my dad's cousins was a teacher at a school and asked me to pop in and say good day. And I just felt the love and the out outcry of support for for what I'd been able to accomplish at that point in time and um, I was like I've got to figure out a way to, to give back a little bit here and and being rural being that rural children are so hidden and tucked away and uh, oftentimes just fall straight into the whatever the family business is and farming or um, whatever it might be I, I saw a real opportunity to try and impart some knowledge on them and and, and a bit of you know, my passion. Um, so yeah, that's where, that's where we kind of came up with the idea for the camp. And, uh, um, right now it's, you know, being the first year we've just kind of started building it. I want to make it something that's a mainstay for a long time. Um, the end goal. And, and I think that there will be something along these lines this year, but the end goal is, um, well, hang on. So to take it back a step further, we, a lot of the comments that I got, got about the camp was how, how cheap it was. And I was like 50 bucks, like, you know, isn't that like normal? But a lot of the, a lot of the people who run camps these days are doing it for 200 bucks. And so I was like, this is just not right. Like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn anyone into, you know, the, the next Chris Anstey or, or anything please, like please that. 
just over 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 a weekend camp. So like, why why would I charge these these kids two hundred bucks to come to it? Like, I'm just all I'm trying to do is instill a little bit of my passion in them and, and make sure that they don't you know bounce over to footy because it's the easier option at that you know out there in rural rural New South Wales. So uh, look, we we put on this camp and 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 the goal. The goal for me became all right. Let's let's see if we can just get these kids a little bit more fired up about basketball. See if we can get another another Jock Landau to come through the system and 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 duck off to America and, and participate in basketball. A little bit like what Patty Mills is doing. Um, but the the uh, so I, I connected with a bit a few of the talent guys from New South Wales and I said, look, like I'm going to hold this camp come down and just see if you can identify some talent. And so that's, that's something that I want, I want to take the next step on is can I get these national programs to come out and have a look at kids from rural New South Wales, kids who parents are driving them four hours to games in, in, in different towns, you know, and, and just give them the opportunity to get in front of some eyes that they probably wouldn't normally have the opportunity to get in front of. See if we can get them on a state team. See if we can get them, you know, on a national team, and just take it a step, step like that. And so, eventually, what I want to do is I want to use these camps and kind of select a team of five or ten and send them to the AAS for a week and just show them that beyond this camp, this is what you can look forward to if you just stick with basketball and you really give it another crack and you stay with it and can continue to develop and grow. And um, that's what I'm hoping to do either this year or next year. I'm not sure if we've probably given it enough time to figure it out this year, but Marty Clark sounds like he's on board and thinks it's a great idea and obviously I have a great relationship with him up at the Institute. Um, so I really want to make sure that these kids are getting an opportunity to, to A, come together, learn a little bit from me um, as much as I can impart on them on, in, a, on a, in a weekend but then show them that like, hey, I'm not just here to like collect a, a $50 paycheck and, and, and bugger off. Like I want to use those paychecks to give you guys an experience at the Institute of Sport, get you in front of some eyes and hopefully, you know, one of these talent identifiers realize that there's some talent out there and give a kid a real opportunity. So um, that's the grand scheme, um, you know, and we're, hopefully we can build it's, it out. It's, to that it's, made, it's, a, it's an incredible grand scheme, regional New South Wales, regional Victoria, I'm sure regional every state in australia is so under resourced and yeah. i know how much i love getting up mate if you need a hand let me know i'll, I'll duck up to yeah. new york and i think i've told you i've been to the bunch up there the, the little pub up there and i'm sure you know the story behind why the locals call it that um, <laughs> <laughs> um mate tell us how we find the camp anyone it's probably sold out but yeah. tell us how we find it anyway yeah, it's on my it's on my social media unfortunately we have sold out already for this year um we we started with some small numbers and I'm hoping to build it out a little bit more next year. But um, yeah, for, for, for right now it's, it's, uh, it's sold out, but if you want to kind of, you know, see things un uh, unfold out there and see what we're all about and um, hopefully give some value to it next year for you, uh, that we'll, we'll be pumping plenty out on my social media and um, yeah, we'll see what, who else we can kind of get involved. But um yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that this turns into something a little bit more regular, and um, and so we don't miss, you know, kids aren't missing out who, who did because we sold out in damn near 36 hours, which is an incredible, um, incredible feat. We've got kids coming from all over the place as well. I think there's a couple from Melbourne, which is you know four four and a half hour drive. So um, yeah, no, nah, it's pretty special. Mate, um, I've got two questions and, and whether I'll probably jump in. There's a story that I've always remembered and I told you to get back to the NBA. And I'm, 
conversational Euro steps. People give me shit about this. I forget to come back. So I've got one more question about the NBA. One of my most random everlasting memories in my time in the NBA was up close and personal with some of these guys. They're completely different to what you see on television to the extent where, forget their personalities, but there are some guys in the NBA that are incredible that we've got no idea they exist here in Australia. For me, back in the day, it was Steve Smith who played for the Atlanta Hawks. I'd never seen anything like what he did. Granted, I was at the Mavericks and outside of the Jordans, and Steve Smith was incredible. I just remember watching him from the bench one day. I didn't play much at all. And he was as dominant as what I've seen. Is there there anyone in that same sort of space that surprised you that's been completely not what you expected in the NBA, better than what you thought? Now, a little left of centre. Everyone knows the greats. Who's your guy? Do you have a guy? Yeah, I got a, I got a couple. Um, I think the one. Are you talking about guys like at the end of the bench, or are you just I'm talking, talking about, about guys? whatever the hell comes into your head? I mean, the first two guys that really stand out to me are, are Mike Conley and, and Drew Holiday, and I know that these guys are decorated players, um, and, and they've gotten the props that they deserve more and more. But I don't know if they. I still don't know if they're at the level that they they should be getting appreciated um especially uh drew holiday um and for whatever reason it is i always tend to tend to look at um at the point guards the most just because that as a five man that's kind of what you're you're in tune with a lot but these guys control the game so well and, and i feel as though that's why their teams always do so well look minnesota for example this year had no business doing as well as they did like we played them early on, early on in the year before the trade period, before they got Mike Conley, before all of that, and they were just like they were not ready for to compete on, on on the big stage. And I feel as though they got Mike Conley, and the whole season kind of turned around. And then all of a sudden, they pushed Denver a little bit, like or maybe not pushed them, but you know their, their games were somewhat competitive. Um, when I played against him at when he was at Utah with Joe before Joe's injury. I had such a hard time figuring out his his pace and figuring out how to stop him um, because of who he was playing with and, and also the player he was. But it feels like he's someone that really gets slept on a lot and, and probably doesn't get the props he deserves. And then everyone knows about the underrated Drew Holiday narrative, but Drew's unbelievable and, and still probably pales in Giannis's shadow a little bit. Um, in comparison to what he should be kind of known as, but they're kind of the they're kind of the two that always stand out to me. Of like, damn, these guys are unbelievable players and control so much of the game and the, its pace. And people people really, you know, we all, we're all we all tend to just jump to the box score and see who influences the game. But those guys do so many things off the box score, which are just invaluable to to a team as a point guard. Um, that that I, I really appreciate them. Mate, before I ask you this last question, there's, I've loved this so much. I, I love your story. I love the knowledge you're going to impart on anyone who listens to this. So, mate, you need to tell your story to more people. Um, yeah. Love to figure out a way to help you make that happen. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. But here's my last question. Uh, an old teammate of mine, Paul Shirley, he became a writer when he finished playing basketball, ironically, for the Phoenix Suns. 
Mm. He says, heaven is arriving at the end of your life and realizing that the story you've written with that life is a story someone would read. So my question to you after everything you've given us today, what's been the chapter you'd like most people to know about in your life or what's the most important lesson that you've learned that you'd like to share? That's great. That is a phenomenal question. Um, I think that I think that my my the chapter of my life would would definitely be the Serbian chapter. I think that everything that I dealt with mentally pushed to the breaking point there, almost through my career down the drain multiple times throughout that year. Um, got to a point where I couldn't be alone and had my family there twenty four seven for the last four or five months of season. You know, then go through this crazy scenario where you know I'm, I sign with a club behind closed doors and and it's meant to be all secret, and then you know should have been in the NBA and um, that that whole situation kind of blows up in my face, and um, they they throw my buyout up in up in the air by seven hundred thousand euros. Then get leads teams to be like, we can't touch this guy because you know we give him a minimum deal with already paying a minimum deal on his buyout. So he becomes a huge burden on us financially. So many things I learned that year from trusting people to what I was made of as a human being to um, figuring out how much I truly loved and relied on the game for, for, for support. Um, there, there's just so many lessons that I learned that year. And, and it's, a, that, as you said, it's a story that I haven't told enough. The, 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 the struggles that I really dealt with out there and, and the extent of where that took me to mentally and how, how, how close I was to just saying fuck it. And there are so many things that year that, that I still reflect on on a day-to-day basis and, and, and either haunt me or, or uplift me. But, um, yeah, I learned, I learned everything, like everything that all of my successes really come back to a few moments in time during that year. And, um, yeah, I would say that. I would say that w- without that year, I don't think I would be with the Phoenix Suns having the year that I've just had. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd even be playing basketball, to be honest with you. So um, there are there are a magnitude of st- stories that I could tell in regards to that year, but I think as a whole, that that probably summarizes it best. Mate, I'll do, I'll I'll just say that I've appreciated all your honesty in this. Uh, especially where our mental health, it's, it's hard to talk about that mm. stuff. And I think for people that never have been through it or understand it, I, I, I don't, when, when blokes say, you know, I was at the, my brink or I was at my breaking point, uh, that means so many different things for so many different guys. Uh, but for, for someone who's been in that situation and, and being in a dark place, especially away from home i can't imagine that that feeling for you in that time so i'll just say thanks thanks for being open and honest about that because um sometimes we put sport on a pedestal and and where we we look at athletes and individuals like what do they have to be upset about or what what do they have to be down about um people lose sight that we are human beings at the end of the day. We have the same range of emotions that the person does on a day-to-day basis. And for you to be able to say what you've said today, um, take all the basketball, which you've, you've imparted some amazing basketball stuff today. But if people can take one thing away is athletes are human. 
athletes have the same yeah. thoughts that the regular person has every day. Um, sometimes yeah. we get on social media and you see the shit canning that athletes cop uh, from the keyboard warriors and all that. And there's always someone behind it that you don't know what sort of day that they've had. You don't know what sort of year that they've had. You don't know what, what they've been through. Um, and it's just a nice reminder that even, even the media, just be kind. We don't understand what's happening in someone's life. So thank you very much. I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you for having John, me. Th thanks so much for your time, mate. Let's um, let's make sure more people need to hear your story. They need to hear your takeaways and uh, look forward to maybe one day down the track helping you even uh, give you a bigger platform. John Landau, thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it.